Chapter Twenty One and Epilogue of Mr. Gilfill's Love Story from Scenes of Clerical Life by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Twenty One. On the thirtieth of May, seventeen ninety, a very pretty sight was seen by the villagers assembled near the door of Foxholm Church. The sun was bright upon the dewy grass the air was alive with the murmur of bees and the trilling of birds the bushy blossoming chestnuts and the foamy flowering hedgerows seemed to be crowding round to learn why the church bells were ringing so merrily as maynard gilfil his face bright with happiness walked out of the old gothic doorway with tina on his arm the little face was still pale and there was a subdued melancholy in it as of one who sups with friends for the last time and has his ear open for the signal that will call him away but the tiny hand rested with the pressure of contented affection on maynard's arm and the dark eyes met his downward glance with timid answering love there was no train of bridesmaids only pretty mrs heron leaning on the arm of a dark-haired young man hitherto unknown in foxholm and holding by the other hand little ozzy who exulted less in his new velvet cap and tunic than in the notion that he was bridesman to tintin last of all came a couple whom the villagers eyed yet more eagerly than the bride and bridegroom a fine old gentleman who looked round with keen glances that cowed the conscious scapegraces among them and a stately lady in blue and white silk robes who must surely be like queen charlotte well that there's what i call a picture said old mr ford a true staffordshire patriarch who leaned on a stick and held his head very much on one side with the air of a man who had little hope of the present generation but would at all events give it the benefit of his criticism the young men nowadays they're poor squashy things the look well enough but they won't wear they won't wear there's ne'er un'll carry his ears like that sir christopher chavrol i'll bet ye two pots said another of the seniors as that youngster a-walkin with a parson's wife'll be sir christopher's son he fevers him nay ye'll bet that wi as big a fool as your sen hay's new son at all as i understand hay's the nevy as is to heir the estate the coachman as puts oop at the white hoss tellt me as there war another nevy a deal finer chap to look at nor this un as died in a fit all on a sudden and so this here young un's got upon the purchase stead at the church gate mr bates was standing in a new suit ready to speak words of good omen as the bride and bridegroom approached he had come all the way from Cheverel Manor on purpose to see Miss Tina happy once more, and would have been in a state of unmixed joy but for the inferiority of the wedding nosegays to what he could have furnished from the garden at the manor. God amity bless ye both, and send ye long life and happiness, were the good gardener's rather tremulous words. Thank you, Uncle Bates. Always remember Tina said the sweet low voice which fell on mr bates's ear for the last time the wedding journey was to be a circuitous route to shepperton where mr gilfil had been for several months inducted as vicar 
This small living had been given him through the interest of an old friend who had some claim on the gratitude of the Oldenport family, and it was a satisfaction both to Maynard and Sir Christopher that a home to which he might take Caterina had thus readily presented itself at a distance from Cheverel Manor, for it had never yet been thought safe that she should revisit the scene of her sufferings, her health continuing too delicate to encourage the slightest risk of painful excitement. In a year or two, perhaps, by the time old Mr. Critchley, the rector of Cumbermoor, should have left a world of gout, and when Caterina would very likely be a happy mother, Maynard might safely take up his abode at Cumbermoor, and Tina would feel nothing but content at seeing a new little black-eyed monkey running up and down the gallery and gardens of the manor. A mother dreads no memories. Those shadows have all melted away in the dawn of baby's smile. In these hopes, and in the enjoyment of Tina's nestling affection, Mr. Gilfil tasted a few months of perfect happiness. She had come to lean entirely on his love, and to find life sweet for his sake. Her continual languor and want of active interest was a natural consequence of bodily feebleness, and the prospect of her becoming a mother was a new ground for hoping the best but the delicate plant had been too deeply bruised, and in the struggle to put forth a blossom it died. Tina died, and Maynard Gilfil's love went with her into deep silence forevermore. Epilogue This was Mr. Gilfil's love-story which lay far back from the time when he sat, worn and grey, by his lonely fireside in Shepperton Vicarage. Rich brown locks, passionate love, and deep early sorrow, strangely different as they seem from the scanty white hairs, the apathetic content, and the unexpectant quiescence of old age, are but part of the same life's journey as the bright Italian plains with the sweet adieu of their beckoning maidens are part of the same day's travel that brings us to the other side of the mountain, between the sombre rocky walls and among the guttural voices of the valet. To those who were familiar only with the grey-haired vicar, jogging leisurely along on his old chestnut cob, it would perhaps have been hard to believe that he had ever been the Maynard Gilfil who, with a heart full of passion and tenderness, had urged his black kitty to her swiftest gallop on the way to Callum, or that the old gentleman of caustic tongue and bucolic tastes and sparing habits had known all the deep secrets of devoted love, had struggled through its days and nights of anguish, and trembled under its unspeakable joys. And indeed the Mr. Gilfil of those late Shepperton days had more of the knots and ruggedness of poor human nature than there lay any clear hint of in the open-eyed, loving Maynard. But it is with men as with trees. If you lop off their finest branches into which they were pouring their young life-juice, the wounds will be healed over with some rough boss, some odd excrescence, and what might have been a grand tree expanding into liberal shade is but a whimsical misshapen trunk. 
many an irritating fault many an unlovely oddity has come of a hard sorrow which has crushed and maimed the nature just when it was expanding into plenteous beauty and the trivial erring life which we visit with our harsh blame may be but as the unsteady motion of a man whose best limb is withered and so the dear old vicar though he had something of the knotted whimsical character of the poor lopped oak had yet been sketched out by nature as a noble tree the heart of him was sound the green was of the finest and in the grey-haired man who filled his pocket with sugar-plums for the little children whose most biting words were directed against the evil doing of the rich man and who with all his social pipes and slipshod talk never sank below the highest level of his parishioner's respect there was the main trunk of the same brave faithful tender nature that had poured out the finest freshest forces of its life-current in a first and only love the love of tina End of chapter 21 and epilogue of Mr. Gilfell's love story.